Welcome to CII Radio. In this episode, we're talking about professional standards. So, Melissa, can you introduce yourselves to us, please? Yeah, so I'm Melissa Collett, and I'm the new Professional Standards Director at the CII. So, um, can you explain to us what professional standards are and why they're so important? Well, professional standards is, is really all about behaviours, and, and the behaviours that underpin uh, a professional acting in the wider world. So, it's about good practice, and, and it's about, really, a way of working that goes beyond just what the law and regulations require of you, and it's about putting customers at the heart of your business. Okay, and um, what is the CI itself doing about professional standards? I think the appointment of, of a new professional standards director is, is really about putting professional standards at the heart of the CII's agenda and at the heart of its exec team, so that um, my role is really to take forward our professional standards um, agenda to the wider membership, and to the public, and also to liaise with our regulators and stakeholders to ensure that they understand what, how important professionalism is to the sector. So um, when exactly did you start at the CII, and what, what have you done so far? So I joined the CII at the end of September, and it's been a, a real whirlwind since I arrived. So I'm about two months into the role, and already I've, I've spoken at a conference at the Isle of Man, on professionalism, and I've got a, a, a whole load of them lined up for the new year. And I have been uh, talking to a number of the insurance um, press about the new role and, and the ad- agenda that we have for the coming year around, and also about our public trust agenda, because really what professionalism is there for is to drive up standards so that consumers can have more confidence in the sector. So that's really what it's all about. Um, Also, talking to our members in lots of different forums and trying to understand what their challenges are around professionalism and really trying to translate that into some action by by the CII. Fantastic. And um, professional standards is quite a wide concept. So can you break this down for me? Absolutely. So the way I I like to think of it and sort of the approach that the CII takes is looking at it in three ways, sort of through three prisms. Uh, as a rule of thumb. So there's the part of it which is about competence, and then there's ethics, and then there's duty of care. So I can talk about each of these in turn. So what do we mean by competence? So it goes way beyond um, how many hours of CPD you do, and it's really looking at how people have the knowledge to do their job well. In other professions, you need Obviously, to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, you need to be qualified to do those really important functions and to, to, to develop that expertise. And so that's what the CII is all about. It's really about giving the sector a way of developing their expertise, their technical expertise and, and other types of expertise through study, training and, quali- and earning qualifications so that what we're striving is to really encourage across the insurance sector people to be qualified to do their job well. So that's a really big piece of, of, our, of our work. It is our day job, if you like. But then there's also the continuing education side. So a lot of people refer to that as CPD. And the regulator has now decided that everyone in insurance should be doing some CPD. Well, we've been saying that all along, 
all of our qualified members um, already sign up to a CPD commitment. So I think we, we kind of see it as a regulator catching up to our approach. How does the um, regulatory CPD requirement differ then from the CII's CPD scheme? So I think to answer that, you have to like go back a little bit because up, uh, the regulator, um, which in the insurance sector is the FCA, has in the past not even required people practicing insurance to have formal qualifications. Now, over time, um, in area by area, that is changing. And, and some people acting now are required to do 15 hours of CPD as a minimum. And that will come in when the insurance distribution directive comes in, which, which is set for February, but it may be October 2018. Prior to that, there was no requirement, if you, even if you were acting in a regulatory space. Now, what the CII has said all along is that like other professions, people who are insurance professionals need to keep up their expertise and skills on an ongoing basis. They need to keep up with the latest development and thinking and they need to keep their, you know, sharpen their skills all the time to make sure that, that they're, they're really able to, to deal with customers' needs. Because really, you know, like other professions, insurance is it, it's handling people's money. And it's about really claims, dealing with claims can be life-changing. So this is really important stuff. And people who are working in this sector need to be really competent. We've said for all our members, when they become members and qualified, they, they, they sign up and they commit to keeping their CPD. And, and 35 hours is, is, is what we recommend for our members. And that's really compared to the what the FCA is requiring in the in the IDD is 15 hours but that's requiring it across a number of different competencies and it's a minimum realistically if you're going to be a, be competent in all the aspects of your role as the FCA requires you're going to have to do a lot more than 15 hours and we think it probably looks much more like our requirement for our members which is 35 hours so we really don't think that what the regulator's doing is, is really, it's, it's bolstering our approach rather than, than, than saying something different, actually. You mentioned ethics as well as one of those three pillars. So how would you position, how would you describe ethics and how does that th- fit into the CPD scheme? Ethics is a huge topic. I mean, we could talk all day, all throughout this podcast about ethics. And I would love to do that at, at some point. But just sort of picking out the key, the key themes of that. We have as part of our, when you sign up for membership, you commit to our code of ethics. And again, like other professions, we feel that being a professional is not just having the skills to do your job, but it's doing it in a certain way that is in line with a high level of principles and integrity. So we have code of ethics with five main principles in it. I can run through those very simply. The first principle is comply with the code of ethics and all other laws and regulations that apply to you in your role. The second is act with the highest ethical standards and integrity. The third is to act in the best interest of your customer. The fourth is to provide a high standard of service. And the fifth is to treat people fairly regardless of their background. These are some five high-level principles that we expect everybody in the profession to adhere to. And if you can sort of summarize it in one phrase, it would be really just treat people the way you would expect people to treat you. 
Um, that's all very um, high level, but can you give us any practical examples? Absolutely. I mean, there's practical examples confronting us on a day-to-day basis. You just have to pick up a newspaper or turn on the TV to see examples of mis-selling that, that are out there. You know, the latest, the latest uh, example of this is around pension transfers. So we've seen news about advisors who are... well. We've got pension freedoms and they're advisors who are assisting customers with their pension freedoms. But some of them are doing it in a way that is really very confusing for customers. And they're advising them to move funds without really explaining to them the consequences of doing so. Now, we just don't think that's right or ethical of advisors to do this because is that really acting in the best interest of your client if they don't really understand what are the consequences of this transfer are. So that's just a really basic, obvious example where this sort of race to, to get clients can really be you know, undermined acting in an ethical way. Do you have any um, general insurance examples? Well, I think in general insurance, you have a a more distant, often a more distant relationship with your end customer. So many products um, in GI are sold online, uh, often through comparison websites. And the problem with those websites, although they are very helpful in some ways, they really, they drive down the quality in favor of price. So that really the only criteria is for a consumer choosing a policy is on price. Obviously, if you're going to drive down prices that way, what's going to happen to the quality of the product? What needs to happen in that sector is really focusing on helping customers choose a product that's right for them based on the, you know, the, the cover in those products and the quality of that cover. And, the, and how, I mean, you could take travel insurance, for example. How many people would have bought travel insurance through a comparison website and chosen it purely based on price because that's how it's filtered. But then with the collapse of Monarch Airlines recently, they find that they're not covered for scheduled airline failure, which is what that kind of coverage is is called in these policies. There'll be people would have booked flights and accommodation and and, uh, with Monarch and they are not covered following its collapse. Well, that's because scheduled airline failure cover you know you it, it's in it's not in all the products it's a it's a it's a aspect of cover that's only available you know if you pay for it basically lots of lots of products do cover it but it's 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 not going to be in the cheapest ones so that's a i think a really good example of people who get stung by just focusing on price and you mentioned also as a pillar the duty of care so what does that mean in practical terms how does that apply to our dealings with clients and also with other members i guess yeah so duty of care is really about you know professionals having a duty of care towards their customers because they are the experts and they have to make sure that their customers not only get the best advice, but they actually understand that advice uh, that they're receiving from the from the professional. That really means going beyond just saying, "Okay, here, sign here," and, and all the all the small the small print explains it all. You know, and let's face it, most people don't read the paperwork that comes with 
with the transactions that they enter into, it's very hard for, for most people to understand it. So I think for advisors, I mean, it is very challenging, but they really need to sit down with people and really take them through and check their understanding, particularly vulnerable customers. And there's so many different types of vulnerability that advisors and, and, and people in the sector need to bear in mind when they're dealing with people. So you can have people who may have difficulty, you know, learning difficulties. Uh, and they so they, they need really extra time explaining things to them. There's all sorts of different vulnerabilities that people face. So I think practitioners need to be aware of these and they need to address these when they're advising people uh, what, what cover is best for them. So Melissa, can you tell us a bit about the CII's Professional Standards Board? What does it do? How is it made up? It's funny you ask because I just saw the chairman of the Professional Standards Board today. His name is David Herzl. And, and like, um, like me, David Herzl's background is he was a law commissioner and he worked um, extensively on the insurance law reform program. And that's how we met, actually, originally. Um, so David really firmly has the customer at, 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 at the foremost of his thinking. And that's why he's, I think, in a deal chair for the Professional Standards Board, because what the board is there to do is to provide that kind of sense check for the CII's activities around professionalism and standards. And that sense check has to come from not only a market standpoint, but a consumer standpoint as well. And in, with that in mind, we also have two designated members of the Professional Standards Board who have a consumer background. So in addition to those members who are lay members, obviously, because they're not CII members, we also have CII members with drawn from particular areas of the market. So we get a good spread of people. And really, the board is so helpful in giving that independent steer to the CII's activities, particularly my activities as professional standards director, to make sure we're really addressing the needs of our members around professional standards and, and the public. What happens when professional standards are not upheld by members? Can you tell us a bit about the disciplinary process and also the appeals process which goes with that? Absolutely. So um, lots of people ask me this question and what I can explain to them is that we really take seriously any breaches of our code of ethics um, and that includes, well, it's a wide range of things that gets referred to our, our disciplinary team. Um, we also cover the aspect of our qualifications. So when people are taking exams, we do get cases around plagiarism and cheating on exams, sadly. Uh, it's, but fortunately, it's a very small part of the total number of people doing our, our exams. So when we get a referral, obviously we investigate the case thoroughly. A recommendation is made on the way forward. But before that recommendation is made, the person who is the subject of the complaint gets a full opportunity to explain their side of the story, weighing up their evidence against 
the evidence on the other side, we come to a decision. And really, the vast majority of the decisions we make are what's called consensual orders. So it's basically where the member admits to wrongdoing, usually minor, I'm pleased to say, and by agreement, uh, they accept a reprimand, uh, they accept that that exam will not be, will not count. Um, they'll, they're in, in more serious cases, they'll be suspended from membership. So that's the kinds of sanctions that could be imposed for, for a breach. And they appear in uh, the membership magazines as well, don't they? The, any disciplinary matters also appear um, in our publications as well. Well, apparently that's the, the most well-read page of the journal. <laughs> yes, I have also heard that rumour, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> fortunately, I mean, there's only a few cases um, published in the journal, and that reflects that the fact that the overall number of cases every year is in is in the you know not in the hundreds but it's more in the dozens um, in scale. So we're really talking a tiny fraction of the membership that uh, you know that the cases are referred to us about. Whether that's the correct number is something that I'm looking closely at because whilst we do check publicly available information about our members to ensure that we're we're keeping abreast of their activities you know we 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 don't have eyes and ears everywhere so we do rely on people referring things to us obviously it's in the interest of other professionals to alert us to the actions and behaviors of others who are falling short so we'd encourage people to do that so this is whistleblowing effectively. So if a member has um, a suspicion about the behaviour of another member or a firm that is, is a member of the CII, what's the whistleblowing procedure? What should they do? Well, exactly. So they, they should refer that to us. And again, as I said, we'll investigate both sides of the story wearing an inquisitorial hat, if you like. So that means we're, we're open-minded and we are looking at both sides before we, we reach a decision. So in that sense, we're ring-fenced from the rest of the organization. So we're not out there trying to, you know, prosecute members or anything like that. We're sort of acting sort of quasi-independently from the rest of the CII in, in investigating these cases. And obviously we have the independent oversight of the Professional Standards Board who we were report into on the disciplinary function. I guess members can just uh, contact customer service or email us if they've got any concerns in those exactly. areas. Exactly. So by contacting us, yeah, the first step is is go through customer service and then telephone or, or email and um, the, it'll be referred on to the disciplinary team if appropriate. Now, a, a topic we've touched on in previous episodes of CIO Radio is equality and diversity. So what role do those play within professional standards? They play a really key role, actually, Martin. So if you, going back to the code of ethics, one of the, the high-level principles in that code is to treat people fairly regardless of their background. And so what, what I mean by their background, it's their, it's their characteristics um, the Equality Act characteristics, if you like, so their age, disability, their their gender, and so and so on. So it's really quite crucial and key that that is part of our ethical principles. So that how does that translate? So it means that if if people who are members 
and that could be members as individuals or firms, if they're acting in a way that is inconsistent with that, that's something that, that we would be interested in as a disciplinary team, and we would we'd take action if we, if we found that, that there was evidence that that had occurred, because that is just not consistent with any aspect of professionalism to behave in that way, and we would take a very dim view of that. Okay, and so my last question for you today is um, what's next for you um, in 2018? So 2018, Michelle, <laughs> the first quarter is already packed um, with activity. I'm speaking to a number of local institutes, speaking at some of their dinners as well. That's going to put paid to all my new, new Year's resolutions, I think. And I'm also talking to various industry conferences and all of these events, I'll be talking about professionalism a bit like we talked about today and really pushing that out there and putting it at the top of the agenda for our members and really just to make sure that they understand that that's critical to the CII. So it's not just about training and, and, and passing exams and getting a qualification and saying, hey, presto, you know, I'm done here. It's about this ongoing commitment to being a professional. So that's the message I'm going to try and get out there um, in 2018. Um, finally, Melissa, where can members find out more about professional standards? I know there's a very good section on the CIO website about this. Yes. Yeah, so we've got a, a wealth of material on the website around ethics in particular, uh, if people want to dive into that, um, it's all there. It's, it's Some of it is members only, but a lot of it is public as well. There are podcasts on there. There's information. We even have a, a, a sort of ethics card that you can... That's not on our website, but if you come and see me at any event, uh, I've got a load of those to give out. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us on CIO Radio today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to CII Radio. To find out more and subscribe, visit cii.co.uk slash podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening.